So let's go ahead and get started and finish up. This is 3.3, so we have one more lesson about, um, about the importance of God's word. So let's go ahead and pray as we start this class and just start in that. Lord, we glorify and we love you and we thank you that we have the opportunity to be here today to get into your word and study your word. And I pray that you would help us, Lord, help us to... Um, have a good understanding of what it is that you want to say. I pray touch our ears to hear as you speak to us and touch my mouth, oh God, to speak your words today. Lord, I would like to say what it is that you want me to say, nothing more, nothing less. We glorify and we lift you up in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are focusing on building our lives on God's word. So we are building our lives on God's word. Now, um, this, just that little thing right there, just that little tidbit, building my life on God's word, what does that mean? Well, um, when I was a young person, uh, I was raised in the church, and so certain things like, you know, filled with the Spirit, born again, things that Christians say, I was raised around saying those things, you know. Um, one of those things was, you know, I just want to be in the will of God. I just want to be in the will of God, right? And I remember kind of agonizing about that as a young person, whether it was going to Bible college, um, really going to Bible college, that was my big one. When I, when I graduated high school, what am I going to do next? And um, I was talking to my dad, and I was just like, I just, I just want to be in the will of God. And essentially what my dad told me was, well, if you're following the word of God, if you're doing what the word of God tells you to do, then you are in the will of God. Um, so it, it, what he meant was, you know, it's really, we would like to put a location on God and, and God doesn't do that. You know, I mean, I guess sometimes there's like this audible voice. My grandparents both heard an audible voice. They were going to go to Africa. Well, they didn't immediately the next day go to Africa. There was a lot of stuff that happened before that happened. Um, now for me, there was never an audible voice. Go to Rock Island ever. I just like David. And he was here. It was that simple. So I no nothing more spiritual than that. I'm sorry, um, but and then the, now I'm here. So, and I'm thankful that I have been able to walk in the Word of God, which has allowed me to walk in the will of God. Um, so we're building our life upon God's Word, which in turn helps us to be at peace that we are in His will. Okay, so we're going to look at Second Chronicles. Our key verse today is chapter 34, verse 31. And it says, and the king stood in his place and made a covenant. I'm making a lot of noise, so I think it's just me, though. Um, made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart, with all his soul, to perform the words of the covenant which are written in this book. So the king, Josiah, made a covenant with the Lord that he would do what was written in this book. And so we're going to talk a little bit about the story that led him to stand in that place and make that covenant. Um, we know that every building, every life needs a foundation. So I was reading this week in Corinthians, and it was talking about uh, my life being a temple, myself being a temple for the Lord. And so if I am using that analogy, which you all know how much I love things in the Bible that relate us to things that we can see. I like parables. I like being able 
to have that connection of the body of Christ. There's so much richness when you start to understand it. So as a temple, if I'm looking at this temple, this particular building that we've built, I know there's a foundation. And without a foundation, there would be no building, or at least not one with integrity, right? And so we are the same, that we must have a foundation, and that foundation must be the Word of God. I want to share a little illustration with you today um, about foundations, okay? Now, there was a tower built in 2008 called Millennium Tower in San Francisco. It stood 58 stories, 645 feet tall, and had fabulous panoramic views of San Francisco Bay. This was a 400 multi-million dollar condos. So the, there was 400 condos in this building that were multi-million dollars a piece. And it contained um, every amenity that you could think of. It was built for the upper crust of the city dwellers. Uh, there was a pool, a fitness center, a theater, a wine cellar, a full concierge service. And the San Francisco Chronicle reported that the ownership group sold over $100 million worth of condos that ranged from 1.6 million to 10 million for each condo. And that was in the first five weeks that the sales office opened. So before the building was built. So the building had everything except a solid foundation. So beginning in 2015, after it was built and people were living in this building, the tower began to sink. By 2018, it had settled 17 inches and had tilted 14 inches. It's, and even now, it's tilted more. So even after being declared safe, so what happened is they had to go in, and when they noticed, okay, this is a problem. Can you imagine? I mean, there are people, like, put a marble in their floor, and it's going to slide, you know, just sitting there. It's, it is off. That's a lot. We might not notice the sinking, but the leaning, that's a lot. So they had to go in and declare this building safe for occupancy, and they did, that it was safe to live in. But even at that, the owners began to depart, and over 100 condos sold at an average cost of $320,000. That's quite a lot less than what they purchased them for. Why? It was still luxurious, right? It still had all of the amenities. The pool was even deeper now. Just kidding. I don't know if that's true, but, <laughs> um, but it was just as lux luxurious and you know, every consideration to the comfort of the owners was still intact. But this thing that nobody could actually see, the foundation was inadequate. And what did that do? It made people uncomfortable enough to leave, right? No one could really see. And I looked up pictures. You cannot actually see that it's leaning. I was really hoping that you could because I felt like that would be a good visual. It's a beautiful building. You cannot see that it's leaning. You can't see that it's sinking. It's still there and people still live in it. But of course, people who had paid all that money, their expectation would be that they would have a solid foundation and they did not. So it is with our lives. Our foundation, though generally dug out and fashioned away from the public eye, Okay, I, I don't know how many of you saw the foundation of this building poured. I was really excited about it, but I doubt very many other people were. Um, because nobody looks at that, right? Except for the person who's building it. So away from the public eye and away from what people see of our personal lives, 
they're not seeing that foundation. They're not seeing what we're putting down in our foundation to be built up. What they're seeing is what is built on top of it. And so it is easy for those things that would be our foundation to be hidden away and to be not maybe as sturdy as they should be because it is the things that are seen that are the things that people pay attention to, right? Um, I heard our bishop, Brother Caltharp, uh, preaching a message, and he was talking about a friend who um, had a spot on his back that was, um, I, it probably started out as like a mole or something like that, but it grew and it grew and it grew. But because nobody else could see it, he just never dealt with it. And he even said that, like, nobody could see it. I never thought about it that much. It was away from my vision, and I just never dealt with it. Well, the man ended up passing because it, what it was, was a, it was a skin cancer. And he ended up passing away from that. Um, and he said before he passed that had it been on the front of his face, there is no doubt in his mind he would have gotten it taken care of. Right? It, everybody would have seen it. He would have taken care of it. And so that is kind of like what this is saying. There are things that we don't take care of because it is not the perception that people have of us or it is not what people see. But the truth is it's those things that people cannot see that are what's building a foundation that our lives upon or that they should be upon a foundation that is unshakable and unsinking that we have security in, right? And that foundation for each one of us as Christians should be upon the word of God. I am more convinced than ever that every answer and everything that we need can be found in the word of God. And I know it doesn't feel like it. If you have kids and they're going to school, you're like, I don't even see anything like this in the Bible. Trust me, it is there. The answer is there. Um, looking back at our story, the scripture that we read was about Josiah. Now, we have been talking a lot about um, the kings of Israel and the end kind of of the history of the New Testament. So I'm not going to go a lot into it, but we're going to talk about Josiah again, who was a descendant of King David, and he was about eight years old when he started reigning, when he became king. So he came to the throne over a nation that was adrift from its monotheistic roots. So it had been a nation that worshiped the one true God, but it was not doing that anymore. And what had happened is that Judah's succession had been through the line of righteous and unrighteous. And if you go and read Kings and you go and read Chronicles, what happens is it, it gives their narrative. It tells the king's name and then it says they were evil. They were righteous. They did what was right. They did what was evil. And you see the result of that throughout their nation, the result of how they acted and how they responded to the word of God. And probably one of the worst of these kings and the most evil was Josiah's grandfather, Manasseh. And the list of the wicked deeds that Manasseh did included all manner of idol worship, violence, blasphemy, and child sacrifice. How do you get to a place where you sacrifice your child your innocent baby, literally thrown into a fire, because that is what would happen. I mean, how do you get from serving a God that brings you out of slavery to that? So this is what Josiah's family legacy is. And it's amazing to consider that when we read about Josiah, 
After following all of that up, it says of him in 2 Kings 22.2 that he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord. So as a part of that quest, Josiah took note. And I just want to say that part of the reason is that the person who was over Josiah, Josiah didn't rule all by himself at eight years old. I'm sure that's the dream of every eight-year-old in our church, but that is not what happened. Um, I'm the king. Bring me some ice cream. Can you imagine? Um, <laughs> but he did not rule all by himself. And what happened was, is he had priests that helped him in the ruling of that nation. And so in that quest to see things turn around for his nation, Josiah under the training of the priest, notices that the temple has fallen into disrepair, okay? Why? Because nobody's paying attention to their temple. Nobody really cares about what's going on with the temple. They're worshiping other gods. They're doing their own thing, and nobody's really worried about that. And it must have been in a really, really messy place, in a, in a place of disarray. So he orders both religious and civil authorities to begin repairing God's house. And to fund this effort, they asked the high priest Hilkiah to produce funds that had been collected through taxes imposed on the inhabitants of Judah. So they're going to take up funds, they're going to take the taxes, and they're going to begin to repair the house of the Lord. What does that tell you? That they put repairing the Lord's house above anything else that was going on in their nation. So um, we see in Josiah's life, and I don't want to backtrack too much, but we see in Josiah's life that he was able to overcome his lineage of being an evil king and step into this place of putting what was important to God first. And there is in this, just as a side note, a message of hope for everybody who comes from a lineage of people who, if we wrote down their scripture, it would say they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Let's stop for a moment, okay? And we're going to talk a little bit about this. So let's just say God was very clear in his word. He was not, he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't try to make them sound better than they were. He just said, this guy was evil and this guy was righteous. You know, that's okay to acknowledge those things. Because here's the honest truth of the matter. If we did not acknowledge that someone is a sinner, how can we get them to a place to recognize that they need Jesus? And a lot of the world would try to condemn us for that. Like, how dare you? But until we get to a place to where we know we need Jesus, we're not going to get to Jesus. So I have to be okay with calling evil, evil, and righteousness, righteousness. Okay, it's okay. And you can do that in love. You can speak the truth in love. But you are doing no one a service if you sugarcoat the position that they are in. Yes, you are right. This is not pleasing to the Lord. You know, just calling it what it is. Just opening up the word with someone and saying, what you're doing is sin. That's not here, but anyway, it's important. It's, it's good. <laughs> so Josiah was able to overcome that. And let's be honest, 
Maybe it is because the priest was able to look at him and say, that was evil and you're going to do good. Because the, that was the father figure in his life was this priest. So what happened is that while they're cleaning, Hilkiah, the priest, goes into the treasury to retrieve the funds, the taxes, and he makes a startling discovery. He locates what the Bible calls the book of the law. So most scholars would accept that this was likely the Torah or a portion of the Torah, perhaps what we know as the book of Deuteronomy. So it was the most exciting part of the Bible. <laughs> At least it wasn't like Leviticus. <laughs> no, it's all good. I'm kidding. Just, you know, some of that part. That's a little bit gross, some of it, but that's okay. <laughs> But this is a very significant document. And the fact that it is discovered like they haven't had it for years testifies that there was a major disregard for the, la for the spiritual things in the hearts of people, for the things that had been important to the Lord that had placed them in that place. There was a drastic departure from righteous paths and it should be no great surprise that there was a disregard for the word of God. That is how they got to where they are. And you can only imagine that what, what goes through Hilkiah's mind when he finds this book of the law. He gives it to Shaphan, who is one of the ones that is tasked with the renovations of the temple to notify the king. And Shaphan takes the scroll or takes this book to Josiah, and he did something even more significant. He begins to read the contents of it out loud to the king. And for the first time in who knows how long, the written word of God is spoken out loud. And there is great conviction. This precious word of God that we often take for granted was written and started to change the hearts and lives of these people. Now here's the thing. If they had just found the book and put it in a case and nobody ever got it, nobody ever read it, nobody ever did it, look at this treasure that we found you know, in the temple. This is great. That, which is where they had put it, right? They had put it in the treasury. So it's like, well, this is really beautiful, but it's not really relevant to my life right now. It's really just a good book of history and poems, right? And so often that's how we treat it. But if we don't open up the word, begin to read it and do what it says, then the end result of that is that we end up like the children of Israel, where it just becomes a good story. We have to read it. And so Shaphan articulates the contents of the book of the law and sets in motion this profound set of events. So Josiah, upon hearing the record of God's word, is immediately convicted. The Bible says that he rent his clothes, which is a common cultural expression of dismay. You see that throughout the Bible, somebody who's grieving, somebody who is, as it called him, convicted. He rent his clothes. He tore his robe. Do you understand why? He was humiliating himself. He was humbling himself by doing that. And he is grieving what he hears in contrast with how they're living. Now, this is somebody who he has tried. He wants to do what's right. 
to the uh, according to the Lord, but he had no Bible or no word to do it. And so he is grieved that they are not doing as they should be doing. And so he is through his grief convicted. Now conviction is one of the greatest friends that a child of God can have. And this word simply means convincing, okay? When one is convicted of the truth of God's word and sees the gap between the ideal and the reality of life, then the pure heart is going to be smitten by that. The Bible tells us that the reaction of um, Paul when he went Saul, when he realizes that he has been persecuting the very God that he thought he was serving, the Bible says, Oh, it cut him to the heart. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 2, when people heard the word of God that Peter preached, they were pricked in their heart. That is conviction. We need to learn to recognize conviction when it happens to us. I will tell you on a personal level, when conviction happens to me, I will tell you when it is. When the preached word is going forth and I recognize that's for me, okay? And then when I am in a time of repentance in my life, which is daily, there is times that God, and, and God knows me, so he knows what is effective for me, and I don't know what's effective for you, but I'm going to share with you so that you have that for me. There are times when I am praying in my life, and literal pictures or, or flashes of things that I know that God is asking me to set aside, he gives me. That, to me, is him trying to convict me of those things. And whether or not I will receive that not as condemnation that pushes me farther from God because I'm unwilling, but as conviction which will draw me closer to him, and I'm convinced that that's what God is trying to do. And are we bold enough for that to happen? While I believe the principles of God touch all the things that he's going to convict us of, they're there, you know, and it may take some of us deeper. There's certain things that you're not going to read scripture for scripture, Okay, you're not going to read in your Bible, don't watch such and such show. Okay, but you will read in scripture that you should set no evil thing before your eyes. And you will read in scripture that these is a list of things that are sin and those that take pleasure in them are as those that are just going ahead and doing them. Okay, and so for me, that opens the door for conviction as to what I'm going to set before my eyes, what I'm going to allow into my home. Okay, and, and that is, we have to allow ourselves to be convicted by those things. And when you feel the pushback of the spirit of God that is in you in a moment when you're doing something that's not spelled out in the Bible, but you feel that pushback of conviction, you probably better go ahead and turn it off or whatever it is, whatever it is you're doing. God's convicting you. And I'm thankful for conviction because without conviction, Josiah would have not been put in a position to save a whole generation. Because while what happens next is that generationally the next person and the next person, evil, good, evil, good, evil, good. Because Josiah's response to the word of God is conviction and I will yield myself to this and I will grieve from the past that we've had and I will humble myself. It allows a whole generation to be blessed by what happens because of his response, okay? That's kind of cool. 
So somebody that is a submitted child of God, they will be driven to make changes in their life to reflect more properly the values and the principles found in God's word. Now, you have to read God's word and know God's word to know those principles. Okay, you've got to be in the word. I wish, no, I don't. I was going to say I wish I had time just to tell you all, but I don't. It's not, my, I'm not, it's not my job to save you. It's not pastor's job to save you. Jesus has already done it. Okay? My job is to equip you, which is what's happening through these lessons is a challenge. There's a challenge going out from the Lord, challenging you to personally get into the word of God so that you can check your foundation. Can you think of a time when you were convicted of something and following after that conviction produced a specific spiritual benefit in your life and caused you to bear fruit? Shortly after the exodus from Egypt, so the children of Israel had been captive for 400 years and they are being released from that, God is setting them free. The nation of Israel was uniquely built on the foundation of God's word. At Mount Sinai, God lays out for Moses and the people these precepts and these regulations that he was requiring of them. And this law of Moses was to be and was to remain the foundation on which Israel's nation's story was built. Deuteronomy 5, 32 through 33 says this. He said to them, ye shall observe to do therefore as the Lord your God has commanded you. And you shall turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or the left. You shall walk in all the ways which the Lord your God has commanded you. That you may prolong your days in the land which you shall possess. But if they were going to turn aside... If they were going to build their collective lives on any other foundation, they were going to secure the curse of God. And Deuteronomy 28.15 says, but if it shall come to pass, if you do not hearken to, so if you don't hear and do the voice of the Lord thy God and observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, but I command you this day, that all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. If you would like to read the list of curses, it's extensive. It's in chapter 28. It gives you the opportunity to read both the blessings and then the cursings. It is kind of a scary chapter. <laughs> It's Deuteronomy 28. So if, in fact, the book of the law, this Deuteronomy was read to King Josiah, taken in part or the whole of it, then he would have heard these two passages. He would have heard the comparison between the, what would happen if you do the word of God and the blessings you would receive and what would happen if you do not do the word of God and the curses that would come upon you. Now, I want us to understand something, okay? The curses... These, these things that were spoken, they were resulting in, because we could be like, well, I mean, you know, that's all, you know, this is just God is, there's no mercy, there's no grace. There's, but what happened is the result of following after the word of God was a supernatural protection over his people, Okay. 
And to be honest, today we can look at the word of God and we can see the things that we're supposed to do. And then we can look outside of the word of God and see the results of that. And I don't even think we'd call that cursing. What would we call that? We would just call that, uh, somebody give me the word. I can't think of it. Consequences, right? It's just the consequence of living your life that way, right? And so the Lord's like, I will bless you in a supernatural way. Who's ever been blessed in a supernatural way? I have. God is like, if you walk in my ways, if you walk in my word, I will bless you in a supernatural way. But if you do not, it's not that God lightning strikes you. It's that his hand of supernatural protection can no longer stay over you. Because he is true to his word. And so when you step outside of his word, his hand can't be there. His blessings can't be there because he's not a God that lies. He doesn't hate you. He's not punishing us. He cannot bless what is outside of his word. We have to allow God's word to convict us. So when individuals depart from secure foundations of a godly life, they have to have a voice. They need a voice to direct them back on course, which is what happened with Josiah. They need the word of God to speak to them. Whether that voice is from the lips of a pastor, a righteous friend, or the Holy Spirit, as it enlivens the word during personal devotions and study. The vehicle through which the word of God speaks is not as vital as our response to it. Any Christian who desires to please the Lord and serve him faithfully will manifest that desire through a humble response to the voice of scripture. Have you ever been convicted by the words of a child? Right? That's a little humiliating. But thank God. I... I am more convinced than ever that humility is the answer for most of our struggles. James instructs us in James 1.21, receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness. Receive with humility. It is really hard to go wrong when you approach the word of God with a humble attitude. So what happens is there is conviction, we're going back to our story, in King Josiah's heart by the reading of the book of the law and the, the promise of God's judgment for disobedience found therein compelled him to commission a group of trusted men to go inquire of the Lord. So we have read this, Lord, and, and we want to do it, but we know we haven't. And so what did they do? They made their way to someone who had a connection and relationship with the Lord. They made their way to a prophetess in Jerusalem named Huldah. And she gave a clear word to the king through these emissaries, addressing both what was soon to come on the kingdom and on him personally. And the prophetess tells him, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring upon this place and upon the inhabitants thereof even all the curses that are written in the book which they have read before the king of Judah. 
And she pointedly told the delegation sent from Josiah that God would be thorough in his performance and every curse found in the book that was read to the king would come to pass. That it would all come to, that was her prophecy. It wasn't like, never mind. No, God's word is true. Have you ever... Okay, so here. I have. I was going to ask a question, but I have, so I'll give you an example. Growing up, I uh, was raised in a church, and I remember a young man coming to the church and receiving the Holy Ghost and making a complete turnaround in his life. But before he had come to church, he had been involved in some illegal activity. And so he had to go to jail. And God didn't spare earthly justice, right? The man went to jail. And there's a part of us that can be like, oh, you can do anything, God. You can make it to where he didn't have to go, you know. But he did this horrible thing. It was horrible. He did this horrible thing. And so he paid for that thing. Okay. And we sometimes make a mistake of... I don't know. I should probably move along. I think that story is good enough, right? You get what I'm saying. Like there is, there is um, consequences to things that we do, okay? And we know that the consequence for the sin that we sin, hey, if I give that to the Lord, I'm not going to have to pay. I don't have to die. The wages of sin is death, but I don't have to pay it because the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful that God doesn't work the same way as the justice system in e eternally? It just doesn't work that way. <laughs> I am so thankful for that. And that is where we see that the word of God is so different than the ways of man that it is very rarely a time when the two ever work out together. He's so different. He's so unlike us, right? And God's character is the guarantee behind every word he has spoken. Sometimes people try to convince themselves that the promise of judgment will not apply to them. And this is even speaking in the spiritual. Well, that's not going to I'm a good, How many times have you talked to somebody that has said, I am a good person? You want to know the truth? We can't. I can't say that. I'm not a good person. And as much as I, if, if I try to say it, I'm speaking a lie. I got to live every day saying I'm not a good person. Left alone today, I would just do evil. If I didn't have the Spirit of God, I would just be left alone. If I didn't start my day by saying, God, I need you to lead me by your Spirit, and we make a mistake if we think that daily we don't have to turn to God and say, I am not enough to make it through this day by myself. 
I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not. Isn't that freeing? That is freeing to me. That is a liberating thought. And, and bondage is when you say, I can rely on myself to do good all by myself. That is bondage. Because I have the liberty to wake up in the morning and say, God, this is a tall order in your word. And everything that I'm going to come up against today in this world is going to make me want to turn to the right and turn to the left. And I'm going to do it if you don't go with me. Because it's just easier. Pastor preached it last week. And we don't want to hear those things. We don't want to hear that it's harder to live for God than to not. But it is Hard to stay on the straight path unless we walk in the Spirit. And you will be on your walk with the Lord and saying, I've got to walk in the Spirit. And there will come times when you do something and your response to something is godly, not because you've read it in the Word, but because the Spirit of God has led you to do what is godly. And then what's going to happen, Brother Wagler? You said it. I heard you say it. Then the Word of God will line up with the convictions that the Holy Spirit has given you. What a concept. I didn't even know the Bible said that. But I know God was calling me to it. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Man, I'm going to be out of time. That's a good lesson. So Josiah hears this report. He hears what the prophet has said, and he immediately gathers all the elders of the land, the priests and the Levites and the inhabitants, and he reads the words of the book of the law to them. Can you imagine being a mother? She says, I don't have to sacrifice my child. They have been sacrificing their children, and all of a sudden the word of God sets them free from this degree of evil? You know, we like to think about the things that maybe were hard for them. The things that we read about, like I said, that are a little bit gross. But God commands them, you will worship only me. And all of a sudden they are free from idol worship. From serving a God with ears that don't hear and lips that don't speak and eyes that don't see. They're free from that. So he confronts the people with the truths. Okay? And in sight of all the people, Josiah makes a covenant with the Lord that he will obey every commandment, that he would serve God with his whole heart. And that has got to be the response of our hearts when we hear the convicting word of God. Hands down, when you hear it in the word, your response, I'm going to do it. Um, It may be hard, but I'm going to do it. And Josiah He didn't just make it a personal decision or a personal commitment, but as the king of that nation, he put that into royal law to them. 
that they would no longer do the things that they've been doing. And he went around tearing down their idols and taking back things that had been taken out. He used his position to mandate that everybody in the land would obey God's precepts. And they did so all the days of Josiah's life. Now, here's the thing. We cannot force others to obey the word of God. And I have two minutes, and this is the point we will end with. But when we see others drawn toward new commitment, we have to always be um, deepening our own consecration, watching them deepen their consecration. We have a very... um, we were just, I was just speaking yesterday with um, the pastor where my husband is, and we were talking about a young man, and I've shared his testimony here before. He came into the church. He was filled with the Holy Ghost, and he, uh, he within probably three years, went on an aim trip to Africa. Now, when I say he was like, I mean, he had been in, in gangs, in prison. You know, he walked into the church. Because somebody, literally, he says, and I can't remember if it was an aunt or a grandmother, he said she literally prayed so that I could no longer sit on the bar bench. Literally, I could not sit there. He goes to church, the Lord fills him, and that was eight years ago. And today, he and his wife and his three children are career missionaries to the nation of Rwanda. Eight years. And that is not very long. That is not very long at all for a completely destroyed life to be leading a nation to the Lord, okay? So the man that brought him to the church, the pastor was telling me the story. The man that brought him to the church, he, he told the pastor, he said, I don't know what's wrong with him. He's just not listening to me anymore. And the pastor said the issue was that the young man that had been won had become deep, more deeply consecrated than the person that had won him to the Lord, We have a circle of influence. And it can be for good or it can be for evil. And what happened with Josiah, and I'm going to take a few more minutes. My husband is not here. If you hear this podcast, I'm taking a few more minutes. (laughs) But what happened is these people that lived under Josiah's authority were blessed by Josiah's insistence that they obeyed the word. And I'm going to get on my soapbox now. So here we go. As parents, this same principle applies in our lives. We have the rule over our home. What is wrong with us that we let our kids decide how they're going to live? If somebody had decided, had let me decide how I was going to live when I was 16 years old or 15 years old or 17 years old or five years old, I am telling you right now, I wouldn't have lived for God because it's hard. And it's different. It's different than the world. I wouldn't have made the same choices that my parents made for me because I didn't understand them. And I'll tell you right now that I did not deeply understand them until later in my life when I had already been protected by all of the mess that would follow me through school. You understand? The mess that... Do you want to know that when I looked in the mirror, when I walked into my schoolroom, I looked in the mirror and I knew I was different. And it reminded me when I washed my hands in the bathroom at school that when I walked out of the door, I was different. 
But it wasn't because of a decision that I made. It was because when I got up in the morning, my mom told me and my dad told me, you're not doing that. You're not hanging out there. You're not going to that party. You're not doing that thing. And you're not going to dress that way. And I am thankful that today I stand before you as somebody who walked through those things because somebody made me. And you better believe that every person in Josiah's kingdom that made it to the end of his reign was thankful that they didn't live through the cursing of what the next generation saw because Josiah let them walk under his authority. And I am convinced that we must have authority in our homes that says to our children, baby, I know you don't understand it, but this is what you're going to do. And I know that it's hard when you go to school. You can't participate in some things, but this is what we're going to do. Because I'm telling you right now that this is more important than that activity that's going to last for a year or that thing that's going to go away next year. This is eternal. And so our children are blessed by our decisions. And I am, I am in the Holy Ghost right now. Because I don't preach. And I tell people that all the time. I don't, I'm not a preacher. But the Holy Ghost wants us to know it's okay. It's okay to rule your home. God's been good enough to me that when I needed somebody to take authority in my life, he gave me a dad that did it, and then he gave me a husband that did it. And he has to put me in my place now. And I am blessed by a godly husband who knows the word enough to put me in my place. And by a God who has helped me enough to say, okay, I don't like it, but I'm going to be submitted. So for what it's worth, there you go. Let's pray. God, right now, I know that you have spoken to us, and I know, oh God, that you desire for us to build our foundation upon your word, and that is what we are going to do. And it, Lord, it's not easy. And sometimes, oh God, it's confusing, and sometimes it's so hard, God, to walk in your ways and not look to the left and not look to the right. And other people, it looks like they're being blessed, but we know, oh God, that when we build our life on the foundation of your word, that your blessing follows that and so God we will follow your word and we will walk in your ways and we will live to honor and to love you God help us to be meek help us to be humble and help us to be submitted in that we glorify your name and we make you the king Jesus we make you the king and do what you want with our lives in Jesus name amen